Well, you know what's fascinating to me? We are the most well-informed, well-educated generation in the history of the world. Think about it. All the information, anything we would want to learn and know is just a click away. And yet, as the most well-educated, well-informed generation ever, we're also the most restless, the most anxious, and the most unhappy generation. So what gives? We are in part two of this series called Faith That Works. I'm so glad that you guys are here. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those of you at West Falls Church Campus and those online. Uh, so glad that you're here with us for this. Um, in this series, we are looking at this letter that was written 2,000 years ago by James, who was the younger brother of Jesus Christ. He was writing this letter to encourage Christians in the early church in their faith, and you know, James is one of those guys, he doesn't pull any punches if you're familiar with uh, this letter that we find in the New Testament of our Bible. He's very direct, he gets after it. And I'm sure that if James were here today, he would have something to say to our generation about this issue that we're facing, about being so well informed, but also being so unhappy. And um, so last week, we, we kind of kicked off the series by looking at chapter two of James's letter. We're going to go back now into chapter one. And uh, just to give you a little bit of a, of a framework for what's happening, in the opening part of his letter, in the first section of the first chapter, he is really encouraging Christians to persevere through the trials and tribulations that they're facing. And then in the second kind of in his second paragraph, he shifts gears, and that's where we're going to pick it up today, because I think it really speaks to what we're facing as a society, and we're going to look starting in chapter 1, verse 19, and we're going to go through 27. James writes these words, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness That God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, last week we talked about how James is a man of action, and this letter is calling us to live out our faith, to get after it, and to do something. And so here we see, in as he begins this next uh, section of his letter, he's he's given us more kind of marching orders, more things that we're supposed to be living out. But I, what I really want us to focus in on is this next verse and the couple that follow. Verse 22, James says these words, so powerful for us. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So what James would say to this generation is, listen, your problem isn't information. Your problem is application. That's that's the big takeaway. Our problem isn't information. It's application. He continues, verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. He's kind of saying, isn't that ridiculous? Like, who would would look in a mirror and then immediately forget what they look like? It's impossible. It's, It's crazy. He says, verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law 
that gives freedom. I want to stop there for a second. You may be saying, what does that mean? What's the perfect law that gives freedom? Well, the perfect law that gives freedom, these are the morals, the ethics. These are the instructions that we receive from God. So he says, but whoever looks into the perfect law that gives freedom into God's word and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So what James is saying here in this section is that if we actually do the things that God tells us to do, what we will find is freedom. We'll find blessing. Now, there are many of us who we're like, yeah, totally, totally get that. Yep, you have had an experience in your life where you have actually gone ahead and applied the word of God to your life. You have done what God tells you to do and you have experienced that freedom and that blessing. But there are others of us and maybe, maybe some of you, you're kind of new to this whole Christianity thing. You're just kind of taking a peek at faith and, and who Jesus is. And you might say, man, that, that doesn't sound right at all. So you're telling me that what you're saying there, Derek, what James is saying is essentially, so, so doing all those things that God instructs like in the Bible. Okay, so what you're saying is like being a really good Christian, like all the do's and the don'ts of Christianity. Like if we're that prototypical great Christian, then that's going to lead me to freedom. Some of you are like, oh, that sounds more like a prison sentence than freedom, right? Bound by all these restrictions and all these do's and don'ts. Well, if that's where you're at right now, I, I got to tell you, I, I feel you completely. And, uh, and I was, was right there with you in my early 20s. Um, I had been about six years of my life through college and then post-college where, um, where I, I wasn't in a place where, where I really had, had any faith. I w- wouldn't have called myself a Christian. And, um, and pretty much my, my MO was just trying to live the very best life that I could, to have as much fun and as much fulfillment as I possibly ca- could, and I certainly didn't want to have any restrictions. So as long as I felt okay about it, I would go ahead and do it. And, um, and you know, what was interesting about that is that ended me at a place where I was about 22 years old, and, um, and I had my dream job at my dream salary. I had my dream girl. And I was living with some of my best friends in the entire world. Like, you could not have, on paper, made my life any better at that point. And you know what the crazy part was? I was not fulfilled. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but like everything looked really good on the outside. And yet I just felt this sense that like there had to be more than this. There was something missing. And, um, and it, it was hard to shake. Well, about that time, um, my girlfriend decided that uh, she wanted to uh, start inviting me to this church that she found. It was a church very, very similar to Grace Community Church. This was in Cincinnati, Ohio. And um, this was a church that quite simply was all they were trying to do was just take the teachings of Jesus 
and they were just trying to lift them up and help you to understand how they were good for your life and how they could be relevant and helpful. And uh, the, the thing that I appreciated the most was that um, they, they didn't come out and say, you know, this is what Jesus teaches or this is what, you know, God's word says and you should just do it because that's what you're supposed to do or because the Bible says so, you know, because that's going to make God happy. That's just what you should do as a good Christian. They, they actually, quite differently, just would, would seek to say, so here's what God says, or here's what Jesus teaches. And then, can we just kind of tell you a little bit about why, if you do this, this will be so helpful in your life? And um, so, as a non-Christian, kind of just a guy who was out of respect for his girlfriend was, was going to church, um, I, I was there, and I'm like, well, I might as well just try and learn something, since I'm here. I don't necessarily believe it, but I, I, let, let's just at least apply it and see if I can get something out of it. And uh, so, so I would just say, cool, I'll, I'll try and see what these teachings of Jesus are about. I'll try and apply them to my life. And um, I got to tell you that um, one of the things that I would have appreciated that the church would have told me, I feel like it was kind of sneaky of the church. Uh, they didn't share with me these words from Jesus uh, as recorded by his disciple John in uh, John seven seventeen, this is one of the four gospel biographies of Jesus' life. Jesus is quoted as saying that these words, and he's responding to religious leaders who are questioning his teachings and his authority. Like, is this really, like, who are you anyway? And this is what Jesus says. I wish I would have known this early on. It would have been nice. Um, he, Jesus says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Now, basically, I'm going to paraphrase here what, what Jesus was saying. He's like, look, if you want to know whether I just made this stuff up, if I'm just some guy, just start doing it. Just, just go ahead. Just, just start doing what I say, all of these different instructions, these teachings that I'm giving you. You'll, you'll know. You'll know whether this is just some made-up thing or whether this is timeless truth, whether this is divinely inspired wisdom that will radically change your life. And... Um, so anyway, I came to find that out uh, years later that, um, that, at least for me, this, this was absolutely true because here's what happened. I found that as I started to apply the teachings of Jesus to my life, as I started to take these incredible things in the Bible and just and start living them, start doing them, what I found was tremendous freedom. I found tremendous blessing in my life, time after time after time. And eventually it got to the point, it was just, it became ridiculous, you guys. It was crazy. I, I, I couldn't help it. I, I, I ended up being in a place where I, I put my faith in Jesus as more than just some great teacher because of just how all of these things had played out in my life. So James here is encouraging us. He's like, don't just hear it, do it. If you do it and you continue in this perfect law that gives freedom, you will be blessed. So what I want to do is I want to walk uh, you through three examples of um, this perfect law that gives freedom and leads to blessing. Now, um, if you're not that familiar with church or maybe um, you're not used to talking about uh, some interesting, maybe even difficult topics, uh, you may want to buckle your seatbelt for the next few minutes because... Uh, we're going to, in my three examples, we're going to talk about sex, money, and forgiveness. All right? So here we go. It won't take long. Um, it'll just be a few minutes. Just hang on tight. You'll be fine. Okay? Take a deep breath. You'll be good. Um, the, the first one 
sex. So um, the Apostle Paul, writer of many New Testament letters, he writes these words to the church in Corinth in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 18, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Now, the church in Corinth, man, it was just it, it was seated in, in this place where there was so much crazy sexual immorality going on. And so these were words that the church needed to hear. But these weren't new words. And when you look at the scriptures, you find very clear throughout the scriptures that God doesn't want us uh, in sexual immorality. God wants us to be sexually pure. And so um, what I just want to talk about for a second is, is why. Why, why these instructions? Why, why is sexual morality such a big deal to God? And we're not going to look at it from a moral or an ethical perspective. We're not going to look at it from a theological perspective. I simply want to look at it from a very practical, reasonable perspective. And there's many things we could talk about when it comes to sex. I see you guys are all totally riveted right now. So, um, so we can talk about a lot of stuff, but I just want to talk about one, one issue and that is pornography. And the reason I want to talk about pornography is because for a lot of folks, they might say, pornography? Like, what's the big deal? Right? I mean, what you do in the privacy of your own home or online, like, I mean, that's not hurting anybody. So, like, what's the big deal about pornography? We know it's rampant in our culture. So, let me just tell you what the big deal is. And again, I'm not even going to go into talking about how pornography and the demand for pornography, how that fuels an appetite and a supply for sex trafficking and, and, and all that kind of stuff. We're not even going to go there, okay? I just want to talk about how pornography impacts the end user, the consumer of the pornography, okay? So we have years and years and years of reputable studies. These are not church studies, Okay, these are just scientific studies that have been done, research. And what the studies clearly show time and time again is that users of pornography have lower sex drive, lower sexual performance, and lower sexual satisfaction. You ever wonder nowadays when you're watching any sporting event, why every other commercial is about ED. Does anybody wonder about that? Like literally, every other commercial is erectile dysfunction. Does anybody else get sick of seeing those commercials? And they're so cheesy too. They're terrible, right? What's the deal? Did you know that in young males, the rate of erectile dysfunction before 2004 was 2%. 2%. You know what happened in 2004? Anybody know? High-speed internet. Yes. Hmm. And now, erectile dysfunction in young males is 7 to 17 times higher than it was before high-speed internet. And that's the only real big change. So, you guys tell me what's going on. In addition to basically killing our sexual um, um, satisfaction and, uh, and all that, um, porn is, is also, it's, it's leading to a lot of infidelity in relationships. 
It has been shown in studies to lead to more aggressive and more violent behavior towards your romantic partner, and it has also been shown to lead to many other destructive addictions. And so, um, and, and if you're like, where is he getting this from? Like, what is all this about? I got a great resource for you. It's an organization called Fight the New Drug. You can go to fightthenewdrug.org. And here's what's cool about this, okay? Because again, this is, this is a non-religious, non-legislative Nonprofit, And this is the coolest thing about Fight the New Drug, is um, all they're basically trying to do is just show, here's how pornography affects people. That's all they're trying to do. They're just trying to say, here's the facts, here's the studies, you should know, and then make an informed decision. I think that is so, so important. So why do I bring all that up? Okay, here's, here's the bottom line. It is clear, it is clear in God's word that we are to flee from sexual immorality. And here's the deal. When we do, when we flee from sexual immorality, what we find is freedom. And we find blessing. All right. Enough about that awkward topic. Let's talk about money. All right. So, um, again, this is the Apostle Paul, and now he's writing to his protege, Timmy, Timothy, um, in, in his first letter to, to Timothy, chapter 6, verse 10. He writes these words. He says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, I want you to notice what he did not say. He did not say, For money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money is not an evil thing. Money is, is, a, is a great thing. But the love of money, that is the problem. The love of money. It's when money becomes our, our focal point. It's when money becomes our obsession. It's when money controls and dictates and guides our decisions. It's when money stops us from doing the very thing that we should do, but we don't because we're kind of living in this bondage to the, to the love of money. You know, we have offered um, and, and provided so many different uh, courses throughout Grace's history, all kinds of, of different things. But by far the number one uh, course that we've ever offered, and it's our longest running course, is called Financial Peace University. It's been our most popular course. Uh, many of you uh, have, have taken that course. You've been through it. You, you know what it's all about. And essentially what Financial Peace University is all about, it's that word peace. It's, it's getting to a point where money doesn't control us, where money doesn't dictate what we do, where we essentially tell our money what to do instead of our money telling us what to do. And so uh, we've had so many people uh, get free from that. And essentially what Financial Peace University does is it, it takes a look at what are the biblical principles that we can find around finances and money and then how do we simply live those out and apply those to our lives? There are crazy principles like get out of debt. That's wild, I know. Um, there's another one, save up for something and then pay for it. It's, it's really radical, you guys. Like there's these crazy things in the Bible that, you know, where you've got all, all these kinds of, of different things around our money. But this has been like no other course that we've ever done at Grace. This has probably been the thing that's led to more breakthroughs in people's lives because it truly does get you to a place where money does not 
control you, where you're not just constantly gripped in the anxiety of living paycheck to paycheck or always having that argument when that next credit card bill comes out or, or whatever it is. So um, here's the deal. What you find, and, and I know this firsthand because, uh, because my wife Becky and I, we went through the very first pilot uh, Financial Peace University course back in 2006 here at Grace. And it's just been amazing. The, the number of arguments, the number of fights that, that, we, that just disappeared after we finished the course. But here's what you find. When you follow God's plan for your finances, it ends up leading you to freedom. And you will find, as James writes, that you'll be blessed in what you do. So I just want to say, by the way, if, if you're here and, uh, man, you're, you're like, yeah, money, that's a, God, that's an issue. That, that is frustrating. That, that gives me a lot of stress and tension in my life. Um, we are planning to offer another round of Financial Peace University. It's like a nine, ten-week course. Um, we're going to be doing that in January. And uh, if, you, if you're interested in just at least finding out uh, when and where and all the details of that, doesn't obligate you to anything, um, you can just, uh, if you want to, just write on your Connect card. Um, Falls Church, you guys do the same thing. Um, or if you're with us online, just, uh, just send a message to Pastor Anil and uh, let him know. Just give us some contact information, write FPU on there, and, uh, and we'll, we'll get you the information if you'd like it. Because I'm telling you, it leads to freedom. And it leads to blessing. It really, really does. All right. So one more. Um, you guys made it. You can let go of your wallet now. Um, forgiveness. Now, you may think, oh, thank goodness. We're not talking about sex or money. Uh, forgiveness actually might be the hardest one of the three. So sorry about that. Um, the, um, the tax collector turned Jesus follower, Matthew, writes in his biographical account of Jesus' life, in chapter 18, 21, and 22, he records this interaction between Peter and Jesus. And Peter asked Jesus, he said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And then Peter throws out this ridiculous thing. He goes, up to seven times? Like crazy big number, you know? And Jesus, you gotta love Jesus, man. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus, you know, what, what is Jesus saying there? Uh, for those of us who, um, you know, have been around church, we understand the essence of Jesus' teachings and his message. What Jesus is saying right there is he's saying, Peter, Peter, because my forgiveness for you is unlimited, dying on a cross for the sins of the world, because my forgiveness is unlimited, Peter, your forgiveness must also be unlimited. Now, this is scandalous, isn't it? If you've been a Christian for a long time, I mean, you know this. You, you know that this is what we're called to. It's the, it's the heart of the Christian faith, forgiveness. And the reality is this. We know that we're supposed to do this. It's pretty clear that we're supposed to do this. But here's the deal. When, when we've been deeply hurt, when, when we've been wounded by somebody and we're reeling from that, we're still in the emotion of the experience of what that's like, the betrayal, the, the, just the pain. This is the hardest thing to do. We, we know we're supposed to offer it as Christians, but man, 
How do we actually do it? Because here's the deal. Somehow when you're reeling from whatever happened to you, doesn't it just feel like somehow it makes it a little bit better if you don't forgive that person that hurt you? Somehow, like, I mean, it's, it doesn't take the sting away, but somehow, like, just maybe 1%, it makes it better, like, just a tiny bit. It's like, at least at the very least, they know that I just hate their guts, you know? At least every time they think of me, which they're probably not thinking of you, but anyway, you know, that they'll just be so shamed and they couldn't possibly want to face me, you know? At least, at least they don't have that. In reality, we know from this um, powerful profound anonymous quote it's more like this holding on to resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die I um for over a year of my life I drank that poison day after day drinking that poison and I gotta tell you man It's a losing game. It really is. And what I realized, probably a little later than I should have, but eventually I realized the blessing of pouring out that poison, the blessing of offering forgiveness. And what I found is just like what James says, Whoever looks intently into that perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, when we offer that forgiveness, we'll be blessed in what we do. So, let's look at James's words again in verse 22. He says very plainly, very clearly, sometimes the most simple, obvious message is the one we miss and the one we need the most. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So I just want to ask you, what do you need to do? What do you know that you need to do This is what James is after. It's the doing. In the doing, we find the blessing. All right, so I'm going to let you think on that for a second. And I want us to look at these uh, final two verses that James writes in this section, kind of completing his thought. Verses 26 and 27. He says, Those who consider themselves religious... And yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Again, he's all about the action. He's all about the doing. It's not enough to know, to hear. We've got to get to the do. But then he says in verse 27, I want you to to notice this. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, 2,000 years ago, when James wrote this letter to 
primarily a group of Christians in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. When he was talking about orphans and widows, you guys have to understand that, that these orphans and widows were the most vulnerable in the population. They were absolutely powerless because you see, orphans and widows did not have a male and in a patriarchal society, you, you had to have the patriarch, you had to. Because that's where the provision came from and that's where the protection against all sorts of evil, perpetration and all sorts of other stuff happened. And so what, what James is simply saying here is he's saying we've got to look after widows and orphans in their distress. Is we must look out for the most vulnerable in our population, in our society. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to Jesus' followers. And I just want to remem- remind you, um, it, for those who heard last week's message, and if you didn't, I encourage you to, to go back and, and, uh, and catch up uh, at trygrace.org. But um, if, if you didn't, I'll give you a quick catch up because this is essentially what, what James is, is after. He's saying, look, we got to live out our faith. We got to live it out. It's not enough just to know it here. We got to live it out. And here's why. Here's why. Not just for the, the sake of being a great Christian, not just for the sake of being some wonderfully religious person. That's not the point. The point is that God came down to this earth in the person of Jesus to bring hope to a broken world, to bring healing and restoration to a broken world. And then guess what? He left and he said, guess what, followers? You're in charge. You're not plan B. Oh, no, no. You're plan A. You are the plan. I now am putting my spirit inside of you and you are to be the body of Jesus Christ on this earth. It's yours. Go. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. And so what James is saying here is look, we got to look after orphans and widows, the most vulnerable, the most powerful among us. We've got to take care of those who need our help. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you're relatively new to grace, um, one of the things that we embarked on at the beginning of this year is something that I just think is, is, is so cool. I'm, I'm just really proud to be a part of it. And, um, and that is uh, the Grace Home. And so we embarked upon this capital campaign of sorts, and it was to build a home right here in Arlington for a, a group of our friends and neighbors who struggle with severe intellectual and physical disabilities. It's, it's our neighbors in this community who need 24-7 care. And you guys, I cannot think of a more worthwhile endeavor. I cannot think of a more awesome group of folks to come alongside and bless. And so I just want to give you guys a little update because the majority of you, uh, you know all about this and, and many of you have, have given to it. So uh, just so you know, this picture that you see, um, this is actually, so the foundation for the home, it has now gone in, the, the concrete has been poured and so it's, it's just a really exciting time. And, um, and so our goal is to raise $250,000 and we are well over 60% of the way 
to the goal. So uh, it's very, very exciting. And I just, I just want to say that ultimately this is the stuff that the church is supposed to be about, you guys. It really is. If James were here, he'd say, go on, Grace Community Church. Okay? And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for, for what you've done and uh, the, the momentum that we're experiencing now. I mean, we're, we're kind of on the home stretch, and uh, it's just going to be an exciting time. We'll, we'll keep you updated. But, but here's the thing. This is what the church is supposed to be about. All right. So in conclusion, I want to read verse 25 one more time, and I want to ask you this question one more time. James says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So let me ask you one more time. What is it that you need to do? For many of us, we actually already know. We already know the thing that we need to do. It's actually just about getting down, not talking about it, just doing it. Let me pray for us. God, uh, we thank you for this great reminder through James that ultimately... Knowledge is great, but if it doesn't translate into action, it doesn't lead to that blessing. God, thank you for the perfect law that you give us that leads to freedom and blessing when we act on it. God, my prayer for everybody right now is that you would help us to just put aside whatever is in the way, whatever is standing between us doing what we need to do and God, just help us get about the business of doing it. In Christ's name, amen.